Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here to study the Bible with us today, and we hope we get your question answered today. Uh, that's what we do each week is answer viewers' questions. There's a phone number at the bottom of the screen, and there's a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those any time uh, to give us a question, either in person or on voicemail or uh, in an email, and we'll be happy to get you answers to those questions as quickly as we can. But that's what we do is pick those uh, questions, put them in our stack of questions, and get to them when we can on the program. So if you got something you wondered about the Bible, maybe always wondered, or maybe during this program you'll say, I don't know about that, I need to ask, give us a question and we'll try to find you an answer. I'm Steve Tandy and this is Toby Levering with me today. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here. and uh, We're studied up and ready to answer as many as we can today, but our viewers always get one first. So here's yours for the day. Uh, what dead prophet did King Saul consult? Uh, kind of an interesting story. King Saul wanted to talk to a prophet who had already died. Was that Elijah, Samuel, or Isaiah? And we'll give you the answer to that multiple choice question at the end of the program. See if you know about that story about Saul and the dead prophet. All right, Toby, I think you get to start us off. So yes, what do sir. we got? A uh, question about the book of life. Does God have the day of our death written in the book of life? Well, the scripture seems to say so. Uh, so I believe that that's true. Now, I, I do not think it's a literal book, uh, but this is an idea that we have had across all time, the, the books, you know. And uh, perhaps if you run a business, you have a set of books. Well, it might be an Excel spreadsheet, but uh, basically it's a term saying there's an accounting. There's a place where we've got track, kept track of all the things we need to know. And the scripture gives us this idea that there's, there's a book of life. And this seems to uh, have in, in it, uh, all those written in it are uh, followers of Jesus. Uh, let's look at uh, one scripture from the Old Testament, Psalm 139. Uh, the psalmist says, your, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So in some way, spiritually, but we don't really know how, uh, God has a record of our lives. And we're to, you know, the, the Proverbs or Psalm says to give us a heart of wisdom, teach us to number our days, to understand that our days are finite. And God knows uh, the day that you're going to begin and the day that you, you will leave, that your life on earth will end. He knows that. So yes, he does know the day of your death. Um, and uh, somehow, in some way, that's recorded. Uh, now, let's look at the other scripture from the New Testament, Revelation 21, 27. Uh, John writes, Nothing impure will ever enter the holy city, new Jerusalem, new heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the book of life, uh, scripturally speaking, are those who are in Christ and those who belong to Christ, those who know Christ and those who Christ knows. And uh, I, I'm not sure that it gives us any indication it's a literal book, but yes, God does have a record, and He absolutely knows. And uh, the point of, the, of the, the actual book, the Bible, is to make sure your name's in the book of life. Hope that helps. Okay, well, I think he's got a real book. Okay. I, thought, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's gone digital yet. <laughs> could be. Could be. <clears throat> but you, you don't think he's on QuickBooks, huh? <laughs> I'm joking. I have no idea how, <clears throat> how he keeps track of it, but he, he does know definitely who's saved. And, yep. uh, as for the day of our death, I don't think that's predetermined, but he may know it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he well, he he knows everything. Sure. So he knows the future, so he may know when we're going to die. But that doesn't mean he's predetermined it. And uh, some people get confused between foreordination and foreknowledge. Yeah. Uh, God knows everything, but uh, you can alter the day of your death. You can. Do something really stupid and <laughs> drive crazy, or uh, and all kinds of things can affect it. But God probably knows when it's going to be, but didn't predetermine it. Okay. Uh, speaking of other things, I don't know. Here's the next question. John five twenty eight says our bodies will rise from the grave <clears throat> for judgment. Why do we need our bodies when our spirits already in heaven? All right. Uh, what we need when we get to heaven is not up to me. Uh, that's way beyond what I can figure out. Uh, if God says it will happen, then it will happen. And God says he's going to raise our bodies and they're going to re be reunited with our spirits and they're going to be a resurrected body, uh, an immortal body, a glorious body, a, a perfect body. And he tells us that. So it's going to happen. Now, <clears throat> I think part of the error or the the reason we ask questions like this is why do we need a body is we've got a misconception of heaven we we've seen the pictures of angels floating around on clouds with playing harps and we think okay that's what heaven looks like uh, i don't think that's well i don't think it's even close to what heaven's going to look like uh we don't know what heaven's going to look like <coughs> uh personally I think it's going to be a lot, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be a lot more uh, like the original uh, heavens and earth. Uh, Eden was created for man. It was a perfect place. And man messed up and had to leave it and the earth got cursed. So the earth right now, even now it's amazingly beautiful, uh, but it's been cursed. Uh, God promises to make new heavens and a new earth. And I think that's going to be uh, a lot more physical than we imagine. So what do we need our bodies for? Well, we're going to find out when we get there, but they're going to be uh, resurrected immortal bodies designed for immortality. Our bodies right now are designed for mortality. They're going to be designed for immortality in an immortal perfect kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth where God lives with us. So uh, why do we need them? God's got it all figured out and we're going to be really happy when we get there that 
that he did figure that out. All right. Okay, a question about authority. Where does it say to respect those in authority and to obey the law? Yes, as a general principle, uh, Christians should be good citizens regardless of what government they live under uh, and obey those in authority. The reason God sets up government is to prevent anarchy. Now, sometimes those governments, in fact, <laughs> no, not sometimes, all the times, uh, governments are made up of people who are not angels. And depending on the country, uh, there may be more or less corruption uh, and so that can be challenging, and sometimes people might not agree with the laws and so forth. But as, as, as near as we can, Christians are to be uh, good citizens and to obey the laws from the small ones like the, you know, the speed limit all the way up to uh, the big ones. We need to, to be honorably and to deal rightly, and that's part of the idea of doing justice is doing what's right um, to the best of our ability. Um, in fact, Romans chapter 13 says as much. Let's look at this uh, set of verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, and therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So, uh, we're 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 absolutely clear scripturally and this is this is wasn't talking about the government of the United States of America this was talking about the Roman government okay uh, they did some fairly atrocious things toward Christians if you look at some history uh, and yet uh, Paul writes we're to be uh, subject to the authorities Peter writes submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So the scripture is just absolutely clear that we're to respect those in authority and obey the law. Uh, I will say there is one exception to that. Uh, this is also found in scripture. And this is any time uh, those in authority uh, take too much authority and they try to override what God has clearly and explicitly commanded. And uh, might be an example of, uh, of worshiping. If they made a law and said no Christian uh, can pray to Almighty God and we're not going to allow you to worship God, uh, then your job is to, as Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, uh, obey God rather than men. Uh, the famous example of that is Daniel. Okay, they made a law concerning the law of his uh, concerning his uh, prayer toward God, and he he peacefully resisted that. Uh, he he was civilly disobedient. Okay, he paid the price for it. He did, uh, but uh, he was determined to honor the higher authority. So, Christians should be in subject to authority uh, and, and in government, and uh, those in 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 charge. We should obey the laws and be good citizens. If they make a rule that God has uh, goes against God's will, uh, our job is to follow the Lord and be obedient to Him, uh, and uh, and uh, do the best we can. Hope that helps you. All right, studying the Bible is uh, something that a lot of our viewers do regularly. Uh, we know because we get questions from them that uh, try to correct us or point out something we missed or and we've obviously got a lot of good bible students watching this program 
but I think we've also got a lot of folks who just are not that familiar with the Bible, uh, never got in the habit of Bible study. We've got some that uh, maybe don't even own a Bible. Well, the Bible is God's Word. It's uh, got all kinds of wisdom in it. It's got the wisdom in it. Uh, it's got, it claims to have everything that pertains to life and godliness. So we think it's a great book to study, good thing to spend some of our time with. And we know we some folks need a little help getting started in that. So we've got some helps, and we're happy to provide those tools to you. Here's a set of lessons. That <clears throat> there are eight lessons in it, and it's just a good overview of the Bible, not tied to any denomination or creed. It just teaches you some Bible. Here are some other lessons that we've got that follow that up. If you want to keep studying the Bible with Know Your Bible study tools, uh, we can keep you busy for quite a while. And a lot of people would rather do things online these days. So here's a way to do that. Log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, they'll get a little information from you and get you started on studying the Bible online. Great way to learn some about your Bible. So all those options are available. There's a phone number and a website there at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what course you'd like. We'll get it started for you. All right, a little follow-up to that last question about bodies in heaven of your as How does the Bible describe life in heaven? <clears throat> well, the short answer is it doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't tell us much about life in heaven. And some folks will say, well, I thought it told about golden streets and gates of pearl and all that. Yeah, Revelation has got some very symbolic language <clears throat> about what the new Jerusalem will look like. But <clears throat> how symbolic that is and how literal it is, we don't know. We'll find out when we get there. But other than that, it really doesn't tell us much about life in heaven. Uh, how it describes it is what it won't be like. And that's about the only clue we've got. Now, it's a good clue, and it's a really <laughs> encouraging clue. But let's read a passage that tells us what heaven won't be like, if you want to put it that way. Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. Here's John's vision. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. All right. That doesn't tell us what life will be like in a sense, but it says it's not going to be like life here. The old order has passed away. There's going to be no tears. There's going to be no mourning. There's going to be no death. There's going to be crying, no pain. Uh, God's going to be with us in heaven. So, a pretty good description, pretty positive and encouraging description of uh, what it won't be like. Now, the other details, what it will look like and what we're going to live in and how our resurrected bodies function and all that, no idea. Bible just doesn't tell us. But uh, from what it does tell us, it sounds like a pretty good place to be, especially compared to the option. So uh, let's consider heaven what little we know. Uh, as our glorious reward, and look forward to it. 
All right, a question about how to deal with a difficult neighbor. If a neighbor causes problems when you haven't done anything to them, how should you deal with it? Well, um, there can be a lot of particulars in your situation that uh, I don't know, of course. And uh, you say, well, I haven't done anything to them, and that may or may not be, that may be true according to you. Your neighbor might think differently. Uh, but it may be, you may be 100% sincere. This person may just have a whole host of emotional uh, pro- uh, problems and difficulties in life, and uh, perhaps the trouble they have with you doesn't have anything to do with you at all, just everything to do with uh, some of the choices they've made in their life. Uh, scripturally speaking, uh, scripture gives us some wisdom that we should seek peace whenever possible. Uh, and and uh, I think the old proverb, though it's not in the Bible, good fences make good neighbors. Uh, have some boundaries. Uh, be clear about uh, what uh, you will tolerate, what you want. I don't know what, how close this neighbor is to you and so forth. But uh, And, of course, I guess a third option might be just move if it's uh, real bad. And uh, there seems no hope of uh, making any peace or making any uh, reconciliation. Uh, Generally speaking, uh, Romans chapter 12 is a real good chapter to start with. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but... Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So uh, we have, you know, just some real good practical, uh, don't seek revenge, don't don't just sit and stew and think about it and how you're going to get even with them. Uh, Instead, do good. Uh, Live in harmony. Uh, Bring good. Do good to your neighbor, even if they don't do good to you. Uh, in fact, Romans uh, goes on to say, in doing so, you'll heap burning coals upon their head uh, because they'll be ashamed uh, that they've acted in such a way. So uh, if you're being done wrong, you have a great opportunity uh, to be Christ-like because, uh, of course, he was done wrong. Uh, he didn't. Uh, uh, he was not uh, treated right and in a godly way uh, and was crucified, and still he... He asked for forgiveness for those uh, who were crucifying him. He prayed for those who were uh, causing his death. So that's a wonderful example. I know it's very hard to do. Uh, But when people cause problems, we have a great opportunity to show the goodness of Christ. In fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.12. If you want to look that up at home, 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong... And they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So, a uh, human being's going to have problems, but hopefully, First uh, Peter two twelve and Romans chapter twelve will give you some <clears throat> practical insights on how to deal with a difficult neighbor. Hope that helps. All right, viewer wants to know why does the Church of Christ not have music? Well, I could say I was offended by that because we have very good music. Thank you. Uh, But I'm not offended because I know exactly what our viewer is asking. Uh, Churches of Christ are kind of known for singing a cappella. We're a little bit unusual in that in this world and day and time. Uh, For the last couple hundred years, it's a little unusual to sing a cappella only. But in 
the grand scheme of history, uh, we're, we're far in the majority. Uh, the early church sang a cappella. That's what the word means, is church music. Uh, for over a thousand years, nobody considered adding instruments to the worship of the church. And even when it was added, it was violently opposed by most folks, a lot of folks. Uh, all the church leaders you can think of almost, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, all objected to instrumental music. Uh, they thought it was less spiritual. They didn't think it was a good idea. But, like I said, in the last couple hundred years, it's become pretty much the majority position that instruments are what is church music. So, I understand all that. I understand we're a little bit in the minority these days. Uh, but our viewer asks, why don't we have instrumental music? Uh, personally, we think it sounds better. Uh, personally, we think it's more spiritual. Uh, we don't have the interruption of the instruments and all of that. It's a more personal worship. Uh, we think it's more beautiful uh, than listening to all of the instruments. But that's not why we do it. We don't do it just for personal preference. Uh, if it was just personal preference, a lot of folks would prefer instruments. Uh, why we don't is because of our basic idea of how to study the Bible and how to be pleasing to God. And our theory is, our premise is, that if you just do what the Bible says, you'll be a lot closer to pleasing to God than if you do what you want. So we go by the Bible. We try to speak where it speaks, is one of our little phrases. And if you read through the New Testament... What you find out is the New Testament church sang, uh, if you, especially if you look at history, without instruments. They sang a cappella, church music. Uh, Ephesians 3.19 is one of the few verses that tell us anything about uh, music. And let's look at that, Ephesians uh, 5.19. It, Paul said for Christians, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the heart to the Lord with your heart. So the Bible says sing, so we sing. Uh, the Bible doesn't say sing and play, so we don't sing and play. Uh, and I know some people think, that well, that's kind of picky. Well, if your idea is let's study the Bible and do what the Bible says, uh, that's not that picky. It's just kind of sensible. <laughs> if the Bible says sing, all right, we'll sing. Uh, that's as simple as it is. We, we try to do what the Bible says. Uh, if you've never visited the Church of Christ and heard some good a cappella singing, uh, drop in and give us a visit sometime. In fact, let's mention a couple of Churches of Christ near some of you. Uh, Kingman and Pratt, Kansas. If you live in those neighborhoods, there's a Church of Christ uh, in your community, and they sing without instruments. And uh, we think it sounds pretty good. So drop in and uh, visit with them about that if you want. If you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ. Tell them, hey, I saw you on Know Your Bible the other day. I appreciate that program. So visit the Church of Christ. All right, Toby. Yeah, a question about infant baptism. Uh, is infant baptism necessary? 
Well, my, my answer to your question is with a question. Why would you want to baptize an infant? Are you doing it because that infant, uh, that baby has uh, sinned or is guilty of some sin? Are you doing it uh, for salvation? Are you doing it uh, for other reasons? Uh, if you're doing it for salvation, uh, the Bible simply prescribes that a person who wants to be saved uh, must believe and be baptized. Well, an infant, I mean, you can force baptism on an infant, but typically even the baptism is just sprinkling or pouring. It's not real baptism. Um, but the uh, infant really doesn't have the ability to believe and to profess with their mouth what they believe, uh, as Scripture calls us to do. So it doesn't work for salvation. Uh, you, some people do it in, because there's a doctrine of original sin. Uh, we don't subscribe to that, don't believe the Bible teaches that, uh, and because they basically say every person who's born is guilty of Adam's sin. And uh, the Bible doesn't teach that either. If you read Ezekiel 18, verse 20, it says the soul that sins is the one who will die. And God's not going to ascribe guilt of uh, the, the sin of the father toward the son. Um, he's going to give each treat each person fairly. So if you're doing it for guilt of sin, it doesn't work there either. Uh, you might say, well, we're not doing it for those reasons. We're doing it because we want to be say to the church we're professing to raise this child in a godly way, to be godly parents, to have a godly family. And to that I say I think uh, that's commendable. Um, but it's in terms of being necessary, no. The Scripture doesn't say that is necessary at all. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 37 and following. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, uh, the apostles' brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So uh, the people who were baptized for salvation have to believe, have to repent, and have to be able to make that choice for themselves, which is not something infants can do. Hope that helps you. All right. Why are tax collectors in the Bible so dishonest? Well, let me give you history here. Here's what happened. Rome occupied Palestine. Now, they took over and ran things. They instituted the government. They wanted to collect taxes, and they used local people to collect the taxes. The way they did that is they told tax collectors uh, who were natives that we want this much tax from your district, and you can keep anything extra you get, and we'll give you some soldiers to back you up. You might realize that that promotes a little dishonesty. <laughs> so uh, tax collectors were dishonest because they could be. Uh, they were treated as uh, traitors by most of their countrymen, but that's probably why they were so dishonest. Now, to say all of them were dishonest, it's probably profiling. I'm not sure they all were, but the Bible does present some pretty bad ones. So that's that. Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. 
and it is about the King Saul consulting a dead prophet. Was it Elijah, Samuel, or Isaiah? And those of you that know your Old Testament history know it was Samuel. Read that story in 1 Samuel 28. Glad you've been with us today. We're going to be back next week answering some more of your questions. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.